This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey there, welcome to The Tint. I'm your host, Scott Bellman, and it's time for yet another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. You know, experimentation is awesome. And it's just that, an experiment. And that means you likely don't know exactly what the outcome, good or bad, will be. And as more and more hobbyists push out into this natural botanical method aquarium world, notice I'm calling it botanical method, not botanical style. I'm really trying to change the the nomenclature because I realize style is probably a little too shallow and it implies that it's an aquascaping style and not a methodology. So anyway, more about that at another time. So being both a power user and a vendor of botanical materials with my aquariums, I certainly consider myself fairly well-versed on a lot of this stuff. Okay, as well-versed as one can be about adding, you know, twigs and nuts and stuff to his aquarium. And like you, I enjoy a good experiment or two, particularly when it comes to trying new botanical items for use in our aquariums. That's kind of what we do. Now, I'm constantly contacted by fellow hobbyists who found, you know, this seed pod or leaf from a tree or a bush in their yard or while on vacation in Florida or whatever. Sometimes it's something they've seen offered, excuse me, by another vendor, which we haven't discussed here before. And they'll ask me if these seed pods, roots, or other leaves that they've procured are suitable for use in aquariums. And it leaves me sort of in a damned if you do, damned if I don't um, sort of position. Because I'm apparently seen as an authority on some of this stuff, which is cool. But the reality is that I can't possibly, and indeed don't, know everything on it. Not even close. I don't think anybody does. And honestly, most of the time, I give the same answer if I've not used the item in question. Which is... I don't know. You need to research and experiment with it. I get it. That's totally unsatisfying, especially from somebody that's a authority on this. But look, some might say that's hardly the answer you'd expect from a guy who makes his living selling botanical items for use in aquariums, but it's the truth. And it's usually the most responsible answer I can give. Seriously, there's around 400,000 described plant species in the world and an average of 2,000 new species are described each year. Who can possibly know everything about what can be safe from what plant to use in an aquarium, for goodness sake? Nobody. At the risk of sounding a lot like, you know, Dr. McCoy from Star Trek, I'm, I'm a fish geek, not a botanist. So understanding the physical, chemical, environmental impact of almost any terrestrial plant and its components in our tanks is beyond my pay grade, as they say. I can only speak in general terms, really. To assert otherwise would simply be irresponsible on my part and a huge disservice to the aquarium community. Now, when we started Tannin, the aquarium hobby already had a pretty good working knowledge of playing with some botanical items in aquatic environments. For example, catapa leaves. They've been used for decades by fish people to, you know, impart tannins and humic substances into the water and as had guava and a few other leaves and other stuff like alder cones. Now, it just so happens that catapa has been studied pretty extensively by science, and it's not only not harmful to fishes, but it's generally acknowledged that there are some beneficial substances contained in the leaves and the bark, many of which are known generally to have potentially medicinal properties. Of course, these revelations usually require us to think a bit. 
Now, keep in mind that these substances are present to protect the tree from fungi, bacteria, and parasites, so it's always a bit of a leap when aquarists immediately extol the virtues of these things as fish remedies. I mean, they do apparently have some positive health impacts on fishes. Now, there's another point to this, like flavonoids like quercetin and camphorol, which are abundant in catapa, substances which apparently have anti-inflammatory and possibly even anti-cancer effects in humans and anecdotally have been determined to be beneficial to fishes, are present. I did come across a laboratory study from the fisheries ministry in Malaysia that determined that catapa extract is useful as a remedy and or a prophylactic for some fungal fish diseases. So that study vindicated some of the anecdotal stuff in my mind anyway. Of course, that doesn't give aquarium hobbyists or botanical vendors like me the green light to go crazy and assert that any given leaf or seed pod is useful for preventing fish diseases and stuff like that. In fact, this whole medicinal impact of botanicals is the thing you've likely noticed that we discussed the least around here over the past seven years because it's the least important and effective reason for using them in the aquarium, in my opinion. I mean, when my fishes contract diseases, Mr. Leaf Vendor, I reach for real medications and I treat them in a hospital tank. And you should too. It's just, you're not going to treat a major disease with leaves or botanicals. I mean, yes, you could give it the try and watch your fish die, or you can buy the, you know, $12 uh, medication uh, from your local fish store and cure your fishes. That's the way I'm looking at it. And you see, you know, tons of these vaguely worded articles online and, you know, on the purported medicinal properties of Katapa, typically on sites that, well, sell leaves. And typically they're kind of vague and filled with all that wonderful marketing hyperbole and claims, i.e. bullshit, about their wonders that perpetuates all the myths and suppositions that are unfortunately so abundant in the aquarium world about this stuff and we've been spending the last seven years trying to dispel. We've chosen to steer clear of this kind of vagueness and rather chose to focus on their use as natural materials to foster a diverse ecology in the aquarium by recruiting, you know, microbial and fungal growth and as a food resource for a variety of organisms along the food chain. Now we see botanical materials as a means to impart tannins, humic substances, and other organics from their tissues into the aquarium water, creating not only that visual tint in some instances, but impacting some of the environmental parameters as well, like pH. Those things are typically not disputable, with the exception of to what extent they do this. And of course, we're ultra geeky about this stuff. Yeah, we geek out hard. So let's talk about the process. Well. One of the most amazing things about our practice of adding leaves and twigs and seed pods and other materials to our aquariums, whether you collected them yourself in Houston, Hamburg, or Hong Kong, or purchased them from a supplier like us, is that they can almost be relied upon to perform in a fairly predictable manner in our aquariums. In other words, the same natural processes which affect the decomposition of an alder cone from Europe impact the Sterculia pod from Southeast Asia or the oak twig from North America or the jackfruit leaf from Malaysia or the banana stem from Thailand. Colonization by biofilms, fungal growths, and the resulting decomposition which occurs are the same all over the planet. And they're the same processes which govern what happens in our aquariums. Think about that for just a second. Let me rephrase it one more time. The same processes of nature which impact the leaves when they fall into the water in the Amazon occur in your home in suburban Los Angeles, Paris, or Tokyo for that matter. Nature doesn't care. Sure, 
There are subtle chemical, mineral, and other physical variations in the tap water in different parts of the world, which, if I'm being intellectually honest, could make some differences. But the ecological processes, which decompose leaves and botanicals, are the same. It's actually pretty remarkable when you think about it. When viewed as a whole, the macro view of a botanical, you know, uh, method aquarium, I almost tripped up and said style, ah, gotta stop that. Botanical method aquarium is that it challenges us to look at the big picture, not to get too caught up in any one aspect of creating or managing our aquarium and to appreciate all the process by which nature does her work. And to make a mental shift to understand that everything that we see in the aquarium is exactly what nature intends. I think we're starting to see a new emergence of a more holistic approach to aquarium keeping. A realization that, you know, we've done amazing things so far, keeping fishes and plants in, you know, a glass or acrylic box with applied technique and superior husbandry, but that there's tons and tons of room to experiment and push the boundaries even further by understanding and applying our knowledge of what happens in the real natural environment. You're making mental shifts. You're accepting these processes and attempting to replicate the function of natural aquatic habitats in our aquariums by achieving a greater understanding of nature in general. Well, as usual, I guess I drifted off into, you know, philosophical mode here. But look, that's all well and good. But you're, we were talking about what seed pods and leaves are acceptable for aquarium use besides just the ones that we offer for sale. And again, I simply can't tell you. Besides, should we assume that all botanical materials impart the same substances into the water? I mean, damn, who could possibly know that for certain? You better do your homework. If you're collecting the damn stuff, and that's the easy part, shouldn't figuring out what the fuck they do be at least a tiny bit of a challenge? I think so. I suppose it all starts with proper identification of what you're collecting. Proper ID is a really important part of utilizing botanical materials in your aquarium. We've tried a lot over the years, trust me. And we've seen a fair number of them being given goofy names. In fact, almost every one of our product names originally were kind of goofy, but they're not fictitious names at all anymore. We utilize the actual species name, tongue-twisting or otherwise, or linguistically ugly, though it may be. I mean, like Dragiapods, are you fucking kidding me? That's the worst name ever. <laughs> but we use the name of the plant, the tree, the shrub from which the botanical comes from and identify the geographic sourcing as well. I don't know what others who ply their trade in the hobby sector do, but we're over this whole stupid name thing that, you know, as long as we can ID something properly. So disclaimers aside, here's a few general words of advice that we have for you if you're going to collect your own stuff, and you should. First, make sure that you're legally permitted to gather the materials that you're considering and that you aren't trespassing on someone else's property while doing so. Hello. Make a positive identification of the botanicals that you're going to collect. A good nature guide or field guide to plants of your region can really help. And there's this thing called Google that might work well, too. Don't be lazy. Again, confirm the area that you're collecting from is not sprayed with pesticides or subject to runoff or other toxic you know, substances or pollutants. Uh, this is super important. If you're not sure, just don't grab them. It's simply not worth it, in my opinion. If the plant has a name that starts with deadly or poison, you know, like poison ivy or deadly nightshade or whatever, that's a pretty good fucking clue not to even consider using any part of it in the aquarium. I'm just saying. Collect the botanicals that you're focusing on as naturally fallen materials. This is really important, especially with leaves. As we've discussed many times over the years here, when leaves fall off naturally, they've consumed many of the sugars and the other compounds, which are not necessarily beneficial for our systems and actually are probably more detrimental than helpful. Never collect anything from a tree or shrub which is protected, 
endangered or otherwise restricted from being disturbed in your area. Again, pretty obvious, but we'd be negligent if we didn't mention it here. There's lots and lots of botanical materials which you can legally collect and safely utilize in your aquarium. Hobbyists have done this for many decades, and we've been encouraging you to do it since the beginning here. It just makes sense that you should seek out readily attainable free stuff for use in your tanks, if only just to supplement the more exotic materials which we or the other vendors offer. Not only is it a good way to save some money, it could get you into the great outdoors and maybe even create a new hobby for you, and it could be kind of educating. It's beyond just collecting stuff. It's important to understand how these materials occur, what benefits that they can offer, and how they play a role in the wild terrestrial and aquatic habitats of the world. And I've found over the years that most trees and plants do have leaves, bark, and seed pods which contain tannins, humic substances, and other compounds which may have a desirable effect upon the aquarium environment. It's not a surprise, right? To what extent may only be determined by careful laboratory analysis, something most of us are simply not equipped or prepared to do. The same goes for any other compounds these materials can impart into the water. And some may prove to be toxic to aquatic and other animal life if they're consumed, they're steeped, or otherwise utilized in the aquarium. We have to do our homework. Simple as that. So, no, I can't tell you if that cool seed pod you found on holiday in Ibiza or the root you grabbed during your hiking trip in the Appalachians is going to nuke your geophagus tank or not. I can only tell you how we'd approach it. Try to research it. You know, research what you can. Again, there's this crazy, cool search engine on the information superhighway called Google, and they have all sorts of information you can look up. Really, it's cool. Beyond that, you could experiment with what you consider expendable. I gulp when I even cringe when I say that. But you consider expendable fishes in a reasonably controlled setting and just see what happens. Yeah, experiment, risk, chance. It's not for everyone, but if you want to use that seed pod or leaf, you'll need to experiment for yourself to know for sure. You're like, okay, I get it, but what about your stuff, Scott? Well, I can tell you that every single botanical item which we offer has been tested and fairly extensively in our own aquariums and in those of some of our friends with our own precious fishes before it's ever been considered as something we'd offer for sale. It's the best way, in my opinion. We didn't just wake up one day and decide to create a business because we found some cool acorns in a tree down the street, you know what I mean? I've become shockingly conservative about what I use and offer for my aquariums. I'm often approached in my, you know, by my suppliers overseas who will tell me, hey, Scott, would you like some whatever pods for your customers? And after that initial excitement about how cool the damn thing looks, I hit the research and perhaps I'll find out that the tree from which the pod comes from is known to have a poisonous bark or something weird like that. And I'll quickly just slam the door on the idea, realizing that, or rationalizing, I should say, that if the bark is toxic, whatever the toxin may be could be found in other parts of the tree, including said seed pods. It's not worth it in my opinion. It's just not. Hardly scientific and possibly even a wildly incorrect assumption, but pretty conservative if you're thinking about importing a bunch at great cost to use in fish tanks. Now sure, sometimes I will take the chance and experiment with the pods or bark or whatever, but it can be many months or in a couple instances with some of the products we've offered. It's been a year or two of success with my own tanks and my friends' tanks before I'll even consider offering it for sale for you guys. This is not a fast, you know, farm-to-table kind of operation. We spent years playing with this stuff, and we love all of it. It's fun. But guess what? I've killed a few fishes, very few along the way, but I have killed some. And to be honest, it wasn't just because the botanicals we tested were somehow poisonous. It was usually because we pushed it in terms of numbers of stuff added to a tank at one time, or using the botanicals without preparing them properly, or just added too much too quickly. It's worth repeating that even with safe stuff, as we've discussed many, many times here over the last seven years, 
you can push too hard, too fast, and create potentially tragic outcomes for your aquarium. We've talked about hows and whys of this before. You can look it up here. I'm not going to bore you with it again. You have to prep, you add slowly, and observe. We can say this over and over and over again to the point where you're probably sick of hearing it, but we'll keep saying it. No matter what you use, where you obtain it from, or what anyone, even myself, says, you have to do that. Every aquarium, every fish, every situation is different, and the possible outcomes are always subject to lots of variables. Natural materials can sometimes have unpredictable results. It's as simple as that. Anytime you add anything to your closed aquatic environment, stuff can happen. It's reality, as you know. Some fishes, like Epistogramma, are really sensitive to changes in their environment, and they could even even be poisoned, or I don't want to say poisoned, but they can even decline when utilizing so-called safe botanicals. You just need to go slowly when adding them to an established aquarium. The botanical aquarium method is not completely risk-free. You've got to tell yourself that. Now, after a while, like anything else, you sort of get a feel for what can and cannot work. You'll look at a seed pot or, you know, whatever, have a sort of a hunch, test them, do some research, and maybe you'll be very pleasantly surprised. Other times you'll be shocked that that seemingly innocuous leaf that you just added to your test tank has the fishes gasping at the surface in five minutes. You just can't be sure until you test them yourself. That's the adventure here. Or, of course, you can get your botanical stuff from us or some reputable source and have a little peace of mind knowing that at least we use the stuff regularly in our own tanks after a lot of testing. I've even seen a few, you know, tannin knockoffs pop up online, and that's cool, and, and, you know, maybe they have different offerings. Check them out, for sure, although sometimes I can't help but wonder, based on many of their parallel offerings, if all they did was try to source the same stuff we did at a less expensive price or whatever. That's a concern. Like, we did the risky groundwork, and then they figured out it was all safe, which is cool, and I suppose I can't blame them for adopting that strategy. It's kind of smart. Yet I can't help but wonder, the reality is that just dumping any leaf or pod from any old source into your aquarium carries some risk to it. And that cool decorative gourd or whatever that you saw at the craft store that finds its way onto, you know, joesbotanicals.com, for example, may or may not be coated, varnished, or otherwise chemically preserved with material that can easily wipe out your tank. I've done that before, years ago. Bought some cool pods, thought they'd be really neat, thought I'd be so smart getting them from that guy on Etsy, and what happened? They were designed for crafts, and I killed an entire tank of test fishes. Fortunately, it was test fishes, but that's still tragic. And I know at least a dozen hobbyists who've also tried that same thing over the years, save a few bucks or whatever, only to experience deadly consequences just for that money savings. A bargain's no bargain when your precious fish are lying dead at the bottom of your tank. I suppose it's in our hobbyist's DNA to want to find shortcuts or hacks or workarounds or whatever you call them, and that's fine if you accept the potential risks that go with them. There's a reason why we offer what we do and why we obtain our botanicals from the sources that we do. Going to the source overseas is challenging, it is expensive, and it's a pain in the ass, but it generally doesn't yield product which kills fishes instantly. It's why we aren't rolling out new things every single day. It takes time to source these things, test them, identify identify them, uh, observe them in use. We test them extensively with our fishes before we'd ever think of making them available to yours. We know how they're collected and handled. We know the people. We've gotten to know our global suppliers personally, which is awesome. It took a number of years, but we know what to expect from these people. And yeah, you might find stuff cheaper elsewhere. I don't know for sure if you can find it safer or backed up by a lot of testing free information. That's what our buddies at, you know, uh, you know, Blackwater UK and Beta Botanicals are also good go-to sources for this kind of stuff because they're just as conservative as we are in that regard. Support suppliers who take the time to study and use what they sell. That being said, if you're fortunate enough to have a nice oak tree or whatever nearby, go for it. 
Test those leaves, and if they're not harmful, use them in your aquariums. Chances are it's totally fine. This is the fun part of playing with botanicals. There's a lot of DIY potential here, but you have to take the risk. And it's worth it to me when you can create an amazing natural looking and performing habitat for your fishes. You may just wanna wait until someone else has done the groundwork. And that's totally cool too. It just depends on your attitude and your risk tolerance. So if you see that cool seed pod leaf or piece of wood on your next hike and think to yourself, gee, that would look killer in my tank, go for it. But only after you weigh the risks, prepare the item for use and test it carefully. It's very enjoyable, it's alluring, and it's a fascinating part of our hobby if you take the proper steps to minimize risk. It's beyond just, you know, collecting stuff. It's important to understand how these materials occur, what benefits they can offer, and how they play a role in the wild, terrestrial, and aquatic ecosystems of the world. There's literally a whole world out there to explore if you want to. Be adventurous. Stay curious. Stay bold. Stay excited. And always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Feldman from Tin and Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me, and I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of the Tin.